Welcome to Har for Chabad podcast, a project of the Klein Jewish Academy. In this podcast, we take ancient Jewish wisdom and make it relevant. Each podcast includes insights culled from Jewish traditions and ideas and helps give practical ideas on how to incorporate them into your daily life. Okay, so today, um, it just turns out that um, this is very timely. Here's the scenario. You have this powerful person, you know, uh, and they they have some different examples, a famous artist, uh, you know, a charismatic politician. And sometimes, God forbid, a spiritual leader might uh, be laid low by some scandal. You know, we wonder how can such a great person do something so stupid? Well, and we're going to look at the, the Torah portion for this week uh, and look at one of the mitzvahs that uh, is in the Torah portion, that of uh, building a uh, parapet around the roof, actually. Uh, and we'll learn what it is that lets people fall, great people have this great fall into sin or what have you. Uh, and how they can stay out of it. We want to also look at the broader importance of limits, you know, recognizing your your limits and then uh, maintaining them in life as you go through life. And paradoxically, we're going to see how those limits are really the secret to true growth. Let's see. We are. Boy, I actually got the right slide at the right time. Yeah, how is it that great people do such disastrously low things? <laughs> um, so again, uh, the Torah portion, this is one of the Torah portions that has uh, dozens of uh, commandments in it, actually. So we just had the author of this lesson decide to pick out um, this commandment about making your home safe, you know, they're not just against burglars or what have you, but for occupants and, and visitors as well. So we start with text 1A here. And uh, let's start with Andrea. Yes. Um. When you build a new house, you should make a guard, a guardrail for your roof so that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house when the one who fell should fall from it, the roof. Okay, so if you don't build this parapet or guardrail around the roof, as the the second half of that verse talks about, you know, you'll be at least partially responsible uh, for that person's uh, injury or whatever. You know, um, even if the person had gotten hurt anyway, you know, you know, wasn't caused by that uh, because of the uh, lack of a of a thing around the roof. 
the biblical commentators extend the same principle to other potential hazards. Yeah, as you know, the you know we derive all these kosher laws from just uh, you know not uh, not the boiling a kid in its mother's milk. We we come up with all sorts of laws that that extend from that to get us the kosher laws. Well, here we extend this and we talk about uh, other potential hazards around the house. You know, we shouldn't use shaky ladders, <laughs> you know, uh, need to put fences around pools. And, you know, we see that nowadays in, in you know, regular uh, secular law that they'll have uh, building codes and, and things like that to prevent, uh, hopefully to prevent uh, accidents. <laughs> Uh, and so here in text two is how it's uh, talked about in the halakhic code. Oh, actually. Yeah, no. Okay. So 1B, let uh, Melissa, you could do that one. Yeah, then we'll get into the text from the Shulchan Aruch the, called the Jewish law. So, Melissa, if you're talking, you're on mute. Okay. Very good. So that you shall not cause blood to be spilled in your house. If someone were to fall, make sure that you are not in any way at fault so that bloodshed cannot be attributed to your home. Okay. And now we'll get to the uh, code of Jewish law and Paul, text two. This law applies whether it's a roof or any dangerous thing liable to cause a fatal accident. For example, if someone has an empty pit in his courtyard, he must make a wall 10 to fucking tall around it or to make a cover for it so the person does not fall into it and die. Yeah. The Tefachim is a hand breath. It's about 3.14.15 inches. So, yeah, so uh, it depends on who you talk to, how, how big it is. So it's about three feet tall, <laughs> give or take. Before. This is literal. Build a fence around your roof. That's right. You have a fence around your roof. <laughs> I've never well, seen a fence around a roof. Back in those days, they had flat roofs. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, on an apartment building, for example, yeah. you know, you would you would definitely uh, want to put a fence around there, especially if that's a common area for somebody or if that's part of the penthouse apartment. Um, you would you would build that. We used to go up to the roof in my apartment building. When I was little, there was no fence six stories high to watch the fireworks from Coney Island. And then one year they just said, you can't go up on the roof anymore. No one's allowed up there anymore. But that was, you know, great views up there. Oh yeah, well. Yeah. Every Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> All the kids would be up there. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and outside of the United States, it's a little different. I mean, I, I just think of the snake path uh, up up 
to Masada. Right, I mean, no there's just no guardrails. <laughs> there are a couple places I think they had something up, but the places where you really needed it, yeah, you know, where it was a solid cliff, nothing. <laughs> so, Mike, you walked up to Masada? Yes. Uh, I actually, yeah, had to lead. My group was led. The the uh, the, the tour guide uh, was a uh, ex Israeli Air Force, so he had to he had to uh, jog up there. <laughs> uh, we, we, we were we were doing it uh, before sunrise, so we could see sunrise at the top of Masada. So he he just took off, and all these people, you in know, were were in the dark and. Well, since I was a defrocked astrophysicist, I'm used to working in the dark. I, 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 at that time, I had pretty good night vision. And so I just had, had the group, everybody hold it, each other's hand. You know, and we, we well, that's snaked, a way to mean another couple. We snaked, <laughs> we snaked that. Well, it was a single strip. I know. That's a way to mean. <laughs> and we, yeah, basically, you know, call down below. Hey, hey, we're we're you know we're veering towards the left or we're veering towards the right or whatever, and uh, that's how we got up. I mean, I don't. Oh, know. that's frightening. Yeah, I don't I, know what would I've happen to, to the tour guide <laughs> if something happened, but he just took off. Don't worry, I took the same tour the following year, and they said there's no way you are walking up to Masada because of what happened last year. <laughs> What happened last year on his trip? Yeah, we, oh, we've oh, been oh, on oh. the same trip a year apart, apparently. Oh, no, that is so steep. I mean, I took the cable car up. Yeah, um, yeah let's see. Uh, yeah, I guess I, no, I, I, took, I took the snake path down. Uh, I guess when we were there as a family, we took the cable car. But yes. I'm sorry I got cut off and it's been because the way I have to get on this is a little bit involved. I, I was, I could hear you, but I couldn't talk. Okay. <laughs> well, you can talk now, so we'll get you on the next one then. Okay. <laughs> so before you perform most of the mitzvahs, um, you recite a blessing. Yeah, the mitzvah... There is a, a, a blessing for mm -hmm. erecting this guardrail or maka. And the blessing is <laughs> Melissa. There you go. When one makes a guardrail, the following blessing is recited while constructing it. Who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to construct a... Ah! <laughs> Yeah, so it's guardrail. Yeah, so it, it is true that, like I said, that many mitzvahs have these blessings, but not all of them do. Uh, negative commandments do not. Yeah, you know, we don't recite a blessing before not doing something. Um, and then, even among the positive commandments, we have some rules for which get blessings and which do not. Um, so we have, uh, let's say, so 3B, um, it says the blessings are not recited over an obligation that was instituted because of a danger. 
you know, there are several reasons that are offered for this. Um, one reason is that removing a danger is is really not a act that's suitable for a blessing. You know, you just you just took care of something that you know you really needed to. Um, the blessings were, were basically formulated for things that were more positive or or joyous. You know, not acts that exist for negative things. So the question comes to mind, why would you say a blessing for, you know, putting up a fence? Uh, there's nothing really joyous about it. It seems sort of like it's a negative thing. You're, you're doing it to prevent something bad from happening. Um, and it also the the blessing says you know when you you say the blessing when you put up a new when you build a new house it said you know is it really only limited to new construction you know um since as we said in, in, in ancient times most of these buildings had flat roofs and all if you were moving into a one that didn't have that roof, you know that 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 fence, you would think that you need to put it up, and you should be commanded to. So why did they say new house as opposed to just saying a house? And um, so again, here it says new. Rebbe says that you must make a fence from when the house is made anew. And they also talk about the, the Sifre also talks about um, the obligation to build that fence is immediately upon the purchase of that house. You know, if you're not planning on moving in for the next month, that doesn't matter. You got to do it as soon as you own it. And there's a lesson for us there. You know, uh, we have to take responsibility for anything we own. You know, that are, is within our authority. You know, uh, regardless of whether we whether there is a threat to us now, our possessions should be safe and harmless. Yeah. Um, so now we're saying that you know that commandment should probably just be when you acquire a house. You know, if you're acquiring something, you know, that's already built, you know, it, it would make sense to put that fence around it. You know, as soon as you assume the ownership. And on the superficial reading, it might seem that it's just for home builders. You know, not owners you know someone who buys a home may not need to make a fence you know why then does the torah specify that it's for a new house so again you know we set it up we have our questions and then we'll go in and eventually attempt to answer them um 
one of the things that we is a recurring theme through all these uh, lessons is that the Torah has several layers of meaning. You can look at the Torah uh, from a superficial layer, just the, the, the words that are on the paper, parchment. Uh, but you know, as you mature in your understanding, we go for deeper and deeper meanings. You know, um, you know sometimes you just, you know, find a, a verse that's talking about something similar in another area of the Torah, and then you can apply that you know, as a, a similar type of rule, uh, sometimes you have to uh, you have to look a lot deeper. <laughs> so we're going to get into different layers of this whole uh, idea of building a fence. <clears throat> and as they say here, there's a profound spiritual significance to this mitzvah. Now, human beings are vulnerable. <coughs> You know, we, we are mortal, of course, and we, we can't take uh, things like our health for granted. You know, we're not guaranteed, you know, uh, a long life or happy life or anything like that. You know, um, no matter how much we've grown, how much we've matured, um, there's still always that risk of... Uh, backtracking or falling. Um, you can never feel overly confident of your spiritual state. And uh, so let's go through these. Okay, new house. We went through that. Yeah, so as it says here in text five, you know, don't be too sure of yourself until the day you die. As Yochanan, the high priest, served in the high priesthood for 80 years and ultimately became a Sadducee. Okay, Yochanan, uh, they're talking about Yochanan ben Zakkai. Um, and the story goes that he you know, was a, a Pharisee and uh, they doubted his uh, his background. Uh, they, there were some rumors that his mother was raped, so he might not be a pure uh, Jew. So uh, from that, he after eighty years, uh, as it says here, he. He didn't leave Judaism. He just became uh, a Sadducee. Uh, that's, that? Those are the ones that interpret just the uh, written law, don't oh, uh, believe in the oral law. So that was almost the same as becoming an idol worshiper to the Pharisees. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's what they're talking about here. That you know he could be you know the, the holiest man for eighty years, and then all of a sudden he leaves the fold. And one of the central teachings of the the, the Tanya, uh, the Hasidic uh, 
text, the Tanya, is uh, about that we have two souls, the godly soul and the animal soul. Um, and what's relevant to this question is that, you know, you can make tremendous strides with that, with one side, you know, the godly soul, but then the animal soul can come up to spiritually bite you. <laughs> you could fall down again. You know. Um, you know, you could be doing good deeds for years and years and years. Uh, you know, certainly some of our... Uh, you know, people uh, like say Bernie Madoff, uh, you know, did all sorts of charitable acts and everything, but uh, apparently, you know, greed, that animal soul greed, and, and maybe the ego got to him and um, destroyed all that. You know, you could be going on a roll and then all of a sudden, <clears throat> Get, go back down two steps forward, one step back, one step forward and two steps back, it depends. <laughs> yeah, the impulses, those animal instincts and impulses are dormant. They're always there. Yeah, so you need to uh, be wary of them. So let's see. Uh, okay. Um, so, um, let's see, who are we on? I forget. Um, how about Paul? Why don't you do this one? Yet in, as, <clears throat> yet, in as much as the evil in the heart's left part of the Benoni uh, remains with its innate strength, craving after all the pleasures of the world, one should not consider oneself immune and should not accept the world's opinion, which would have him believe that the evil in him has been dissolved by the good, which is the rank of the tzaddik. Rather, in his own estimation, he should consider himself as if evil is at full strength in the left part as from birth, and that nothing of it has ceased or departed on the contrary, with the passing of time, it has gained strength because the person has indulged it considerably in eating and drinking and other mundane pursuits. Even one whose whole aspiration is in God's Torah, which he studies day and night for its own sake, this is still no proof that the evil has been dislodged from its place. Rather, it may be still that its essence and substance are at full force. Okay, the Benoni is the intermediate person uh, that's uh, between the an evil person and that tzaddik person who could do no no wrong. The Benoni, which is what the Tanya has us all strive to be, is someone who can conquer that evil inclination typically does but it still doesn't mean that temptation is not there 
Um, yeah, so when we talk about, you know, falling from grace, especially with these celebrities, politicians, what have you, it's often the people who are the most highly accomplished and talented who make the mistake of overestimating their abilities. Um, and they have another example here about the sage Rabba. Now, Rabba was a, a Jewish leader. He was the head of the Talmudic Academy at Pumbedita. He spent every moment studying Torah. <laughs> Never was involved with anything really materialistic or even physical without a, a spiritual purpose, as it says here. If anyone was a tzaddik, it was him. Nonetheless, he insisted on calling himself a benoni, the intermediate person. He, he was perfectly observant, as he said, but, but we said, but his own internal nature wasn't perfect. And uh, he, he would always call himself a benoni and his student, Abaya, who was another great sage, uh, yeah, that was to his chagrin. The, the Tanya, it, it, the altar Rebbe, the, the author of the Tanya asks, you know, why did Rabba see himself this way? And we have a 6B and uh, Rabba. Okay. But in an intermediate person, it is by the way of example, similar to a sleeping man who can awaken from his sleep. So is the evil in the intermediate person dormant, as it were in the left part of the heart during the recital of the Shema and the prayer Amida, when his heart is aglow with the love of God, but, can, but later it can wake up again. For this reason, Rabbi considered himself as though he was a Benoni, through his mouth never ceased from study and his desire was God's Torah day and night, with the passionate craving and a longing of a soul yearning for God with overwhelming love, such as experience when reciting the Shema and the Mita. Hence, he appeared in his own eyes like an ordinary person who prays all day. So hmm. I guess he was striving for that feeling, that feeling when he was in prayer, praying something like the Shema or or the Shmona Esrei, the, the Amida. But he did not feel that he had that 24 by 7. So that's why he considers himself a Benoni, though. To others, looking at him from outside, everything he did was, was holy. So, yeah, they considered him a Tzadik. <clears throat> You know, the ongoing study of Torah and the other spiritual pursuits that he, he did didn't convince him that deep down his nature had necessarily changed. Yeah, you know, he kept on looking behind him, thinking that his natural animal needs and instincts uh, would come to pull him down. So when he puts himself forth as a Benoni, it was his way of staying humble and grounded. 
say. Boy, I'm getting. Yeah, so these translations are really hard to read. <laughs> I mean, they, the sentence structure, whatever. Yeah. Yes. It's just like, it doesn't flow. Nothing flows and it's very difficult. No, I agree. And that, that makes sense at any rate. And that is why they have uh, books for the Tanya. They have lessons in Tanya where they, the, the author used to have a radio show and he'd go through maybe a verse or two and then expound on it and translate it into real English, sure. And, you know, he had the, the Rebbe's uh, backing on that. He would... Uh, Who was that? Uh, uh, Krasniansky, was it? Oh, uh, no, 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 no. It's... Um, oh, gosh. He, okay. the, the rabbi has it on the show. I'm just wondering if they tried to stick to the Hebrew, sort of, um, you know, rather than um, hmm. translation that we could well we've yeah <laughs> but but that's just the nature of that book i mean yeah. it is a it is a mystical book so it's you do need a you know just like you need commentary on the, in, in, in the torah you, you have all these commentaries all around you know the way it's laid out in the, nowadays yeah so we should try to stand up to any test, any any time that we feel that evil inclination or animal soul trying to pull us back, and we do get aid from uh, from God to do that. But the concept of knowing your vulnerabilities, you know, being aware of them, is is very powerful, and we actually try to ask God <laughs> to prevent us from being tested. Uh, it's in the it's in the sitter in the morning blessings. And uh, Andrea here, if you could do that. Text seven. Yes. Uh, bring us not to sin, neither to transgression, nor and fall from grace. May we never a test have to face, no evil came to disgrace. Well, they even, in the transliteration, they uh, may they, they rhyme, grace and disgrace. So in addition, let's see, let's see what they have here. Okay, so. Yeah, so as it says here in the Tanya, we have these, this, uh, concept of the two souls but you know we we have that weakness that animal soul in us but we're not defined by the animal soul we we overcome it and uh, allow that godly soul to be predominant and make that connection with god because that's all we're trying to do is you know connect closely with god so this last uh -huh. Could I ask a question? Absolutely. I don't know. Mike, I don't know if you can answer this or if Rabbi Kushi could answer it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've noticed that since I've been, you know, studying more and a bit more observant that 
some people in my life that I really love and that are in my family, like I've noticed they've gotten, they really spew a lot of racial hatred and stuff. And they seem to feel comfortable with me telling me this stuff. And I keep telling them, that's no way to speak, you know, and I'm trying to be kind. Yossi, stop laughing. Um, I'm trying to be kind to them and not alienate them, but it's very hard for me to hear it, harder than it's ever been. And um, I, you know, I don't want to start coming off like, you know, I'm a big holy roller or anything like that. But do you have any suggestions on, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt like the more you pursue your Jewish life, the harder it is to, to hear negativity? I'm a Jew. Yeah, I'm not hearing it. Excuse <laughs> my husband. I, everybody in the class can hear you. But, but I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, you, I, I think you've become more sensitive to that you may not have reacted as much before. Melissa, since it's Elul, so we're supposed to blow the chauffeur anyway, so this is what you're supposed to tell the people. You listening? I'm listening. Yossi. If they still don't listen, you say this. <laughs> got it? I got it. A good answer? Quite the segue. Huh? Is it a good answer? <laughs> Is it a good answer? Um, yeah, it's a good answer. If, if not, you won't hear them anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> the call to repentance. Oh, by the way, it is not my husband that's saying these things. He says a lot of other things you don't want to hear, but not that one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. You know, as you get more into the spirituality and all I, I think you become you, you you know you have that 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 radar you become more sensitive to in, intolerance and and uh, negative things uh, you know it's not like you weren't uh, you were acceptant of it before it's just that you're less accepting of it now well i i kind of believe that words have power and i think that's jewish you know i i kind of have a basic fundamental belief that the words you use you know if you if you believe in gematria they, they have power and they have a spiritual essence that that gets put out into the world and so Yossi, stop laughing at me. Anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh.
He is such a bad boy. <laughs> anyway, um, the thing is, is that I don't want to alienate these people that I love. And I don't want to judge them based on my spiritual path in life, you know. Well, so you're, I, not the, I just, you're not the one to judge, you know. <laughs> you can react, but you're not. You're you're again. You're not trying to to make people, you know, feel bad or or uh, disenfranchise them. But then again, they shouldn't be disenfranchising other people. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how you can, you know, if there's a <laughs> you know, rule of thumb that you can use to, to know when to say something to them or not say something to them. Yeah, you're not the judge. Uh, God is the judge. I don't know if that helps any. <laughs> it does. It does. Okay. But you said to know your vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, from a young age, I didn't like hearing blacks being put down and I hated that as a young kid, you know. I grew up in Baltimore City. I saw it all the time and hated it. Yeah. So this just brings this point up in my head. Sorry, I know we need to go on. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's, it's good discussion again. So in addition to asking God to spare us from all these tests, you know, we, we certainly can't rely on that alone. I mean, God's in charge and he'll do what he's going to do. <laughs> you know, you know, just like you know, any type of prayer to God. You may get an answer, but maybe not the answer that you wanted. But we could do something else. We can try to do our part to avoid these situations in the first place. And that means taking protective measures in our lives. So we're building our fences metaphorically or spiritually around us to protect us from these dangerous or situations where we might feel weak. And if we are self-aware about that, you know, we can be become well, as, as you say, more sensitive uh, to these situations and adjust accordingly. You know, identify those risky areas and declare them out of bounds. You know, uh, if you're going, you know, you go past that uh, non-kosher restaurant and, you know, the smell of those cheeseburgers or whatever is wafting out there. Well, what can you do? You can change your route. So <laughs> you're not downwind from, <laughs> from, the, from the restaurant exhaust. Oh, Conrad's crabs. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
I mean, even in uh, recovery, uh, you know, I'm, they discuss, you know, not getting into certain situations like going to a party where they might be serving uh, alcoholic beverages. I mean, if you're recovering alcoholic, that's probably not the best environment to put yourself in. I mean, it's tempting enough just sitting at home and being able to, you know, get uh, access to alcohol in a social situation where it's expected, it's, it's you know, a lot worse. They <laughs> um, also have this where they talk about it, I mean, we have our uh, Jewish equivalent to the uh, person who's on the uh, on the wagon. It's the Nazir. Nazir. The Nazir is uh, one who takes a vow, uh, vows not to drink. And uh, we have... Oh, Rabbi Kushi. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's here. Uh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. So go, yeah, go around <laughs> and do not approach the vineyard, they tell the Nazir, because the Nazir is not supposed to be drinking. They took a vow not to, not to drink. So, okay. What is this one? Okay. So, yeah. So, according to rabbinic decree, in 8b, text 8b, it's forbidden for a Nazir to abide in the midst of gathering of people drinking wine. Instead, he should separate himself far from them because they present a hurdle to, for him. So similar to someone who's, who's in uh, recovery. Oops. Don't know why this noise hit the wrong part of the my iPad there and it scrolls wherever. Um, so we as we move forward on our spiritual journeys and or try to maintain the growth that we have attained. I mean it's it's not always forward. <laughs> Sometimes it's you know, sticking to your ground and getting to a certain level, we, you know, you should also include healthy and appropriate borders for the future. And let's see. Um, cool. The Shuvat Hageder, uh, literally the Shuvat of the fence, means distancing from evil to the greatest degree possible so that one will not be tempted to sin, God forbid. The penitent needs this more than someone who has not sinned. The sages taught one should not say, I am repulsed by the thought of eating milk and meat and milk. I am not repulsed, but what can I do? My father in heaven has decreed upon me. The holy Magid said that this only applies to someone who has never sinned. The penitent, however, must develop a feeling of disgust toward evil or that which is forbidden, so that he says, this is repulsive to me, so that he does not fall into it. Thus, someone who has 
been in a lower place must be extra careful even after he has come up. Yeah, this is sort of in, in contrast to what we've been saying that uh, the the person who's the the Balchuva, the the, the the one who returns to the fold, so to speak, is you know uh, more regarded than the one someone who's been in the in the fold from from birth. You know, someone who's grown up in a in a religious household, uh, they don't know what it is to eat those Conrad's crabs, for example. You know. Um, so, you know, you, you, you have to do that. Balteshuva has to put in that much more effort because they know what they're missing. <laughs> so you need to be careful, even though you have said become a Balteshuva, you, you've returned, um, but you know that where you used to be you just need to be aware of those surroundings. And if you really think about imposing these limits, is is really about humility. You know, if you're humble, you can recognize these needs for borders and these protective measures, because you. The humble person is aware of their shortcomings. So if you're aware of your shortcomings, then you can act to uh, avoid those shortcomings from becoming, you know, from coming to fruition. And if you live within limits, it, it sort of has a humbling effect. You know, you it reminds you of your own your own limits. You know, okay, I, I, you know, I have to live within the limits of the kosher laws. Uh, then you can bring that back into yourself. And so, yeah, well, I know I'm going to be tempted by this. And so I need to take precautionary measures. Um, you know, the many cautions and barriers in Judaism allow us to, to, to do this. They serve that purpose, you know, reminding us that we are just humans after all. There we go again. Um, so now let's get back to the total portion. <laughs> we sort of went quite a ways to get to the spiritual background and now we'll, we'll go back you know and so let's look at these these this verse about you know putting up uh, these uh these uh, barriers around the around the building on a spiritual level you know it, the torah is not just talking about our brick and mortar houses we're talking about us, people as individuals, you know, our souls, our consciousness, our minds, and our emotions are all housed in this one body. Yeah. So it, as it says here, whoops, let's see. Okay, got to the nausea. And 
Yeah, sometimes a house can refer to a person's body. That's what the Rebbe tells us. You know, the godly soul comes down into the body, not just for its own sake, but it's to help elevate that body and have that body work together with the soul, godly soul, to elevate the world. Yeah, the roof of the house is the tallest and highest part of a person. You know, what would that be in this metaphor? You know, that would be the ego. You know, that's the highest part. We, we think of ourselves as the be-all, end-all, if you're an egoist. So, you know, it's, it's, it becomes dangerous. You know, you could easily fall off the roof <laughs> by allowing your ego to just go rampant, you know. Um, you know, you just get carried away and uh, it's, it's like falling from that roof. And the edges of the roof are, could be metaphorically thought of as our weaknesses, the, the things that we really need to be aware of so that we can build that fence and prevent us from falling from that. Fence symbolizes humility, putting a cap on the ego, though through being aware of our weaknesses and flaws. And let's listen to the Shala. And uh, Melissa, why don't you do that one? And you shall make a guardrail for your roof. I have found an illusion here. Since the roof is tall, the Torah is alluding to the notion that one should impose limits on his haughtiness. If not, then that will be his downfall. For the one who falls will fall from it, as it is stated, before destruction comes pride and before stumbling a haughty spirit. Okay. So the mitzvah of building this fence is not just about building, literally building a fence around your a balcony around your house the roof it, it, it's also about making limits on yourself and especially you know capping that ego as we said before to stay humble to maintain perspective and to avoid ever becoming convinced of your own invincibility or superiority yeah but we still haven't answered the original question. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, okay, so here it says, you know, and you shall make a guard, guardrail for your roof. According to the literal reading, it should have said, and you shall make a guardrail for its roof, referring to the house that was built. The meaning then is this, make a guardrail for your roof. That is to say a boundary on your roof namely on your greatness, that your heart should not be too haughty. Okay, so 
So you should take precautions to stay humble. It says on the slide. Okay. So until now, we've been working with that presumption that the humility, you know, those guardrails um, is a form of restraint. And we've talked about restraints before and constraints before that, you know, we've, we've talked about that constraints some, can sometimes lead us to growth, even though it's sort of paradoxical. So we're going to ask, talk about how these limits will lead to growth. You know, our natural human limitations we, we were born with. We, you know, life is really discovering, you know, coming up against these limitations and, 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 and struggling with them. But, you know, we try to overcome them as well we should, but sometimes you get to a point where it's just a, something that's impossible to overcome, at least seemingly. <laughs> you know, certainly at the time, it, it seems that way. He tried every option and, and nothing's working. Um, go to your therapist and that doesn't help, you know. Uh, you get into the, the mindset that you're never going to be able to fix it. Yeah, and then some things, there are limits that we can't uh, do anything about our mortality. We're going to die. You know, uh, there's no, no way around it. And you won't necessarily do everything that you set out to do in this world. You know, there are things that you want to achieve and all, uh, you know, you know, as, you, as you get older and all, you realize, well, I'm not going to compete in the Olympics, you know. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you, you would be tempted to get depressed, of course. Uh, <laughs> give up, fall into despair. Um, but what, guy in the 60s competing in one of the uh, horse... Something. That's right. Yeah, the question. Yeah. That that's true. So you never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Well, if you didn't start training now, I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't talking about me personally. I <laughs> never <laughs> wanted to be an Olympian. I enjoy watching it though. <laughs> Maybe the Scholastic Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. They didn't. We didn't what go. Was that show called College? What was that show called? Uh, it used to be on TV. Yeah. Saturday mornings. Yeah, it's it's college balls also. College ball. Yeah. yeah they competed against each other. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we had a, there was some sort of uh, competition in, in school, but the year I was in, in high school, they didn't happen. <laughs> so what do you do when nothing? <laughs> Nothing else works. You turn to God. You know, uh, when you're, you're in that situation, you're forced to come, you know, confront your own humanity <laughs> uh, and, and the imperfections of the world. And, and 
you know, we humans are limited beings, and so we can't conquer everything. Uh, so then we turn to someone, some being that's outside of all these limitations, and uh, pray for help. And that's the reason that God gives us those limitations in the first place, really. Um, you know, as we were talking about, I guess last week also, especially, we were talking about that, you know, you can't think that the buck stops here, that we're in control of everything, because we aren't. Uh, we don't need, yeah, we can't think that we're, we don't need anything or anyone else. Uh, you know, when we see the, all these deficiencies in ourselves and our limitations in our lives, then we have to sort of admit that <laughs> there's something else out there, a God above us. And so now we're going to the Rebbe. Um, let's see. Why don't you do this one? Yeah. So that no creature will ever make the mistake of thinking that they have no need for the creator and the ruler of the world to that which is higher than them. God created them with a deficiency in their being, one that they cannot fill themselves. As a result, they sense that they are dependent on a higher power. Okay. So, if, you know, God is perfect. Why did he create an imperfect world? And that's what I've been trying to say is so that we will recognize that perfect God. You know, if we didn't have any flaws or anything like that, you know, we'd be satisfied with ourselves. We wouldn't need to go anywhere else. <laughs> you know, we know that, hey, you know, we've got. We're, we have this all under control. And, you know, then the, the ego would rule, really. Uh, but once we find out that we do have limitations and there's not much we could do about certain ones, we rely on God. So God puts these little bumps in our lives to allow us to stop and think and, and understand that, you know, it's not us, it's him. You know, someone who's really full of themselves, you know, that ego uh, expands like a balloon, nature abhors a vacuum. There's, there's no room for anything or anyone else in their lives. Being humble lets you make that connection outside yourself and connect to this higher power. And in turn, that helps you build a better character and improve your life. Um, so 
you know, we're, we, we've been saying all along that's integral to maintain this relationship with God. Uh, you know, the, the closer relationship you do have, the more you can really uh, go back, look back at yourself and prove yourself. It, that connection, you know, empowers us in turn, you know, allowing us to make those new steps and go in better directions in our lives, overcome these challenges. So that is sort of the roundabout way of saying that humility and these constrictions and restrictions allow us to actually grow. And I do like the analogy they give here um, about the scientist. A, a scientist cannot make any genuine discoveries if he is incapable of looking past his old theories and observations. You know, and if he can't uh, open himself up to new possibilities. I mean, you know, everybody believed in you know, Newton's laws, and then Einstein came along and just turned everything on his head. He, you know, something like that just couldn't have been done in Newton's time. It was a, it was a part of socioeconomic times, the, the, the culture that uh, he was in and everything, but, you know, it was it allowed for him to think outside the box and open himself up to, okay, uh, as Einstein put it, he, he imagined himself as sitting on a beam of light and just looking at what the universe looked like. This was not something that could have happened back in Isaac Newton's time. So... Okay, we're getting late, so let me just get through these uh, last couple. The vehicle for any kind of innovation is Betul. When one wishes to make a leap to a place that is incomparably greater than his previous station, he must first reach a state of loss and nothingness. Through this, one becomes a vessel for achieving that ascent. If you open yourself up to Betul or Humility, it could be translated at, as and open yourself up to God being in charge. Um, you have a much better opportunity to be able to overcome and, and grow. You know, it's not you that's doing it, it's God. So this is why they talk about a new house. Getting way back to the original, here we go. You know, when you, instead of just saying when you build a house, you know, the mitzvah is more broadly understood by making appropriate fences and borders in recognition of our shortcomings, you know. Ultimately, it's about this humility. So when the Torah is telling us we weren't starting out on any new journey, 
So again, that's where the new comes in. We're trying to improve ourselves. We're trying to go in a new direction. We're building a new house there. And so we need to keep those limits that fence around the roof in mind. That will help us to stay on the right track and with the faith and trust in God, uh, we should be able to get there. The other question that we asked at the beginning of the class was why we say a blessing on setting up a fence, you know, even though it's just a preventative mitzvah or something to prevent something bad from happening. You know, if the, the fence is only if that you shouldn't fall, you know, then no blessing would be needed. It's then it's a negative thing. And we said there, you know, blessings aren't said on negative things. But we just talked about that the, this fence is also a positive reminder of our humility. So making a new fence not only prevents you from falling, it empowers you on your new journey. So it's for that positive purpose that you can say that blessing. And Rambam Maimonides has that as two mitzvahs in his, his list of the 613 commandments. And that we have in the next text. So just to just say it, it's, it's the 184th commandment is that we're commanded to remove obstacles and dangerous objects from our dwellings. Okay. And he says later on there that the source of that commandment is the statement, when you build a new house, you must place a guardrail around your roof. So you must place a guardrail consists of a positive commandment. And then on the negative side, he has negative commandment 298. That's, they were forbidden from leaving obstacles or dangerous objects in our land and in our houses in order not to endanger people. And there's a different uh, source, do not place blood in your house. Uh, but uh, it says the phrase, you must place a guardrail constitutes a positive commandment and the phrase do not place blood it constitutes a prohibition okay why do we need both to fulfill the negative commandment it, it wouldn't matter who sets up the fence it's it removes the hazard you know that yeah, the duty is incumbent upon the homeowner <clears throat> But anyone can put up that fence or you know, save that homeowner from transgressing that commandment. But for the homeowner to fill the positive commandment, he's got to build that fence himself or appoint someone to do that. So if you know, a concerned neighbor came and put up the fence on your roof and the neighbor wasn't uh, 
you know, uh, say a, a Jew or someone that was authorized to do that, um, then that just takes away the ability to do that. Um, mitzvah. And that's basically what it says in uh, this next text. If you perform the mitzvah, someone was legally unable to act as an agent. And in uh, halacha, it's you know, uh, someone who's uh, a deaf mute, someone who doesn't have a sound mind, uh, you know, or a child, say, or a Gentile, they, they wouldn't be able to fulfill the positive mitzvah. But you still prevented them from transgressing and doing the negative mitzvah. So that's the legal implications of these two separate commandments, the one positive and one negative. So humility protects us from the negative commandment and also builds us positive commandment. Um, Let's see, we're getting a little late here. Um, yeah, I think we'll just uh, conclude, you know. So we talked about the house with the gate, you know, with the fence. Uh, the house symbolizes a person. The prohibition about taking precautions against spiritual hazards in life positive precept is the power of humility, which opens us up for compassion, connection, understanding, and discovery. You know, facilitates character building and fosters growth. Most of all, creates that space uh, and that allows that connection to God. That's why you build this fence for yourself. That fence protects us from falling on the high rooftop. It's also there to elevate us to greater spiritual heights. And they have a couple of questions for reflection. You know, which areas in your life do you need to impose some personal limits and why? Let's see, probably have that on here somewhere. Maybe not. Ah, there. Yeah, okay. So where in your life do you need to propose boundaries? You know, why do people struggle with making boundaries? You know, they think boundaries are taking away their freedoms. But, you know, from the argument we've given tonight, uh, we're saying that it empowers you to do bigger and better things. <laughs> and what's a good way to make a make boundary setting easier? And that's it. Yeah, sorry, we went a little long, but making all these analogies and all was <laughs> took a little time. 
So next time we have uh, rewrite history, the superpower of the Balthuba. To the Balthuba some more. Any questions, comments? This podcast is produced by Harfer Chabad and the Klein Jewish Academy. To learn more, visit harferchabad.org forward slash podcast.